from HerbMentor.com, this is HerbMentor Radio. Good evening, everyone. we got a lot of people out there tonight. Uh, once again, this is John Gallagher from LearningHerbs.com, and welcome to Part 3 of the Herbal Teleconference Series. Um, we are doing this in celebration of Wildcraft, an herbal adventure game our board game, which uh, will go on sale later this week, Thursday, midnight. Um, that doesn't mean that you need to uh, line up outside my house at midnight. You can actually just go online. Um, but you might want to listen to the Susan Weed call because we uh, might have something going on ahead of time. So hopefully you'll be there with us on Thursday night to the grand finale to finish it off. Um, as always, tonight we're giving away a cool prize at the end of the call. So hang on to the end, um, and uh, I'll announce who won that. Um, So tonight, uh, I have the honor of having with us tracker and naturalist John Young. Um, So why the heck is a tracker and naturalist on a verbal teleconference call, right, John? So we'll we'll find out. Um, So just so everyone knows, see, I'm, I'm 36, and John entered my life at age 15, uh, when he led a group of high school kids on a religion retreat out into the woods to teach some awareness skills. Um, we actually had to read the book, The Tracker, that year uh, as, as required reading, which was pretty cool. That's by Tom Brown, Jr. Um, and at that point, John, was about that time, John was starting Wilderness Awareness Club, which uh, was run in uh, in the... As part of uh, my high school, actually, but I wasn't involved in. That's the club that become Wilderness Awareness School, and I did my thing from age 15 to 21. wasn't really involved um, with John and the and the club, but at about 21, I met up with him, and uh, this time I was here to stay. And uh, and uh, since the early 1980s, John has been directly and indirectly responsible for uh, reforging a connection for tens of thousands of people with the natural world, and he's done this he's done this with no bestseller, but with his passion is for tracking, teaching, nature, children, helping people, the earth. And uh, he just really has a knack for showing people how they relate to the national world and how, natural world and how they can bring their personal gifts out. Uh, he founded Wilderness Awareness School in the early 80s, um, wrote the colossal yet, well, I feel incredible, come on, a naturalist training program, home study course uh, through Wilderness Awareness School, and he's uh, recorded audio CDs inspired dozens of schools around the world to start and work closely with some of the very respected Native elders and leaders in our country. And is author of a, a book that will come out in 2007, uh, uh, co-produced with uh, Wilderness Awareness School. It's all about connecting kids to nature, practical activities and games and activities and, and kind of the philosophy behind all that. So uh, let's uh, give a warm welcome, even though you can't hear him clapping, John. They're they're, they're clapping. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, John. It's John Young. How are you doing tonight? Good. Doing great, John. Thanks for having me. I feel like I'm on a radio show. I know. Well, do you remember I used to be a DJ? (laughs) Oh, you know, you sound like a DJ, I have to tell you. (laughs) I know. I used to uh, work in uh, WCNT in Hazlitt for a little while and worked with college (laughs) radio and all. This is kind of reconnecting me with all that. And I kind of feel a little like uh, Terry Gross from Fresh Air, too. (laughs) too. (laughs) 
Well, it's, it's a good thing you're doing. I, I appreciate it. And I, I just heard from um, Ruby, who works with the Regenerative Design Institute here. She's one of the instructors for the Nature Awareness Regenerative Design uh, programs here in this area. And uh, she said, oh, you're doing that herb conference. I heard about that. I'm really excited. And uh, I get I get the, their newsletter. It's really neat. They get recipes and everything. So she's just very excited about what you're doing. And, uh, oh, good. Yeah, I think well, I better get your newsletter too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all comes. It all stems from. Uh, I will tell everyone who's on the call tonight. It all stems from working with John, and he started it all for me. Really, um, there was a there was a um, just a, the the foundation and philosophy of where I come from and approaching all this and how I got interested in all. It's uh, it's so vital when learning about this stuff and learning about anything in the natural world to have a, 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 a good, solid foundation and a, and a center that you're coming from. Um, and so that's what, you know, where that that all really comes from, um, working, uh, you know, working with you all these years. And uh, who would have thunk that, uh, you know, 16, you know, if you could rewind 16 years, uh, I don't think either of us would have thought we'd be sitting here on a phone call with all these people. Yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> but I also just, I remember, uh, I mean, for everyone's amusement out there, when you were running the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor coat and started your own production company competing with your own high school, and I, I figured if, if anyone would do something like this, it would be you. <laughs> uh, so, no, it's good. It's, I, I think it's nice to, I, it makes me feel a little bit old, you know, to hear you talking about it this way, but it's, I'm glad that that I'm. It's I'm really an honor to just to be on this and to support you and, and and what you're doing and to support the important work that's going on with uh, learning herbs. I think it's great. So. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm excited because I see different people have been involved in in wilderness awareness community going out and and following their passions and bringing them into the world, and um, that's really the place that we've really come from. Um, you know, we, when we uh, when we all started out here. Um, you know, in the early days of working with you, you always said, uh, you know, it's not about me, it's about all of you and, and everyone and what we bring into this world. And so there have been people who have been, uh, you know, touched by teachings that you've done in this wilderness awareness and have gone on and uh, started schools and written, written books and, and uh, all kinds of things. It's amazing uh, what, uh, you know, we've been very focused on that, saying, hey, you know, you got to go out and bring your passions into the world. And... Um, so I'm just kind of following the formula here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's working. And, you know, we have to give credit to Ingwe also, who passed on November 13th one year ago, as you know. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I, I really I think that the stability and the pattern that, that gives the foundation that you referred to earlier, is he deserves as much credit in that as anyone. And also, of course, uh, Jake and Judy Swamp and, and uh, my mentor, mm -hmm who started this whole mess for me is Tom Brown. and Yeah, it's, yeah well, it's what's just, a little bit about your background and training and all that? Because a lot of people here, you know, they just kind of signing on, and this is, I think, for a lot of people, the first time they've ever heard you or heard of you. So what's, uh, what's, what's a little bit about um, that background? And Okay, well, the, the part that might be interesting to people, um, the, when I was a, a young kid, I, I grew up, I was born in 1960, at a time when television hadn't really gotten its feet under it as it has today. So it was much more of a, um, I don't know, it was like television, you could you could boil it down to 
a few shows a week that you didn't want to miss, and then everything else was sort of so-so. You just you turned it off. And nowadays, mm-hmm. when a kid turns on the TV, they almost can't escape it. It's so so potent. And um, yeah. So I guess for for younger people out there, they might not have remembered a, a world where you know the opportunities in media and computers and video games and all that didn't exist. But back in 1960, when I was born, there were still kids running around in neighborhoods and uh, being free to you know pursue their own thing and just play outside as kids would like to do when they're given that freedom and um, don't have anything to distract them. So I grew up at that time, and I, you know, in that reason, a lot of people who have gray hair that you know that are my age or older remember this time and i always see a lot of full body nods around the time when actually parents had to go out and find us and drag us back in when the sun went down and how neighborhoods the grass around people's houses was worn out from the kids and the way they played outside and there was trails in the woods that kids made they didn't go out with their loppers and cut trails the trails formed because kids were always out there playing and you know, in that sense, I, I, I'm not different from other kids, but I did have a grandmother who was from Ireland um, a couple generations back. Her her grandma was from Ireland, and it was they settled in a little Irish community called Irish Town, and they they were close to the land. They were farmers, and my great aunt and her sisters came over from Poland. Um, she was born in Poland, and my grandma was born in America. But uh, that family was one generation, and they all spoke Polish, and both. Uh, my paternal and maternal families were uh, farmers, and they, they had remembrances, I guess, of ways mm-hmm. to keep kids interested in nature. And I call it today cultural mentoring, as you know, but for everyone else, we just call it cultural mentoring, these techniques that, you know, I don't think my grandmother ever thought of them as techniques, and she certainly didn't look at any books at night, you know, on how to cultural mentor. You know, she just she just went on the pattern of her grandmother and my great aunt went on the pattern of her mother, and they just they knew how to keep us kids, all the cousins, uh, busy in nature. So we were always going on errands. And I, I think a lot of you can probably remember back to when Grandma sent you out to get apples or pick berries or something. Um, That's exactly what Wildcraft's about. Grandma sent you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that's uh, that's you know that's my background. So when I was ten years old, I think. Um, I was at that age where all the other kids, nature was becoming less of a draw for us at that age. You know, you could still get the odd kid in the neighborhood to go out and do stuff, but I think, you know, the frog catching was wearing off on the neighborhood kids that were my peers by the time we were 10. And I think I was beginning to move towards baseball. Like, okay, I'm going to do after-school stuff. I guess all the other kids are doing baseball. I'm going to do baseball. And Mm. I remember right at that that key moment where my after-school time would have become absorbed with after-school activities like all the other kids, it was right then where, as a little naturalist, you know, I already had lots of fish tanks in my basement with turtles and frogs and fish. I had a pet uh, wild meadow vole, which is kind of like a mouse. Um, And I uh, had a bunch of stuff in my basement that was really kind of neat for me, but it was getting boring because I was the only kid that was down there playing anymore, you know. Um, But then right when I was 10, I... I must have been calling for that next kind of a teacher in my life. And I guess it's the classic age, kind of write a passage-wise for a kid uh, to meet, you know, that older character that takes you on adventures. And it was right then on, uh, you know, after just before I turned 11 in June of 1971 that I 
I met Tom Brown Jr. on a street corner. And um, if, if anyone's read any of Tom Brown's books, like The Tracker, The Search, or any, he has about 18 books out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, he runs a school called uh, Tom Brown's Tracking Nature Wilderness Survival School, uh, changed later to the Tracker School. Um, he's he's pretty well known in you know nature education circles and, as somebody who had an upbringing that was uh, highly special uh, in that he he met an elder Apache who had never gone into the reservation system but who had come to New Jersey f- uh, for family reasons um, and ended up babysitting uh, Tom Brown and his best friend, which was his own grand- grandson, um, since Tom was seven years old, and the elder would take them in the forest. And uh, being that he had such close roots to his own ancestors' ways, he was extremely good at um, getting those kids completely involved in intensive nature relationship. It it was far beyond environmental education. It was, uh, it was a whole other class of education. And so Tom, from the age of seven till about the age of 18, was mentored by this elder um, who was called Stocking Wolf in the books. Um, the uh, name was changed to protect the privacy and anonymity of that family. But when Tom was 18, which would have been 1968, he was left alone when his elder left. And he had spent 11 years being mentored by this guy in the mm-hmm. Pine Barrens mm-hmm. on every aspect of nature awareness that you can really think about. And herbs and herbal medicine and healing was even part of that because uh, Grandfather was a healer, and he spent a lot of time with a Lenny Lenape healer in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. And, uh, wow. Yeah, there's some neat stories from that from that part of my life that I, I haven't really told those stories much, but I was going to share one or two tonight. But Great. the the... Uh, the story with at that time, Tom, this was in the 1950s. Tom was born in 1950. And then so three years. But one of the last things his elder had told him was that he should be looking for uh, his first student, you know, Tom's first student, and that he would know this student by the sign that he carried. And this is the story that I was told. And that from 1968 till 1971, Tom was looking at kids and checking them out and trying to figure out, you know, is this is this the kid that I'm going to mentor? And... um eventually uh, gave me a little test, um, met me on a street corner one day when I had a large snapping turtle that I couldn't move by myself. And um, he saw me with this turtle and saw the turtle as a sign and began to ask me questions. And uh, I apparently passed the first, you know, test. And the, the thing I have to say is that, you know, at that time I didn't know I was being tested because it wasn't, you know, Tom is a, a classic coyote mentor, meaning that, he dwells on the edge of your perception. He doesn't really engage you the way a teacher does in the classroom. He instead kind of asks you questions and gets you to, you know, tell him what you know. And as you speak about these things, uh, he begins to get a sense of where, did, you know, how much you know about this, whether you're using your ears or just your eyes. Are you using your sense of smell? Are, are you aware of trees and birds? Or are you just looking at animals? You know, he was able mm-hmm. to essentially profile my knowledge base uh, based on the kinds of stories I told to him. So he um, began to show up, pick me up in the morning and bring me to school and then wait for me after school. And, I, you know, there his Jeep would be in the in the parking lot of the school uh, yard, and I'd jump in the Jeep and he'd drive me home and send me on errands in the woods. You know, they were kind of like Grandma's errands, except they were up one notch. You know, he would be asking me really intense questions when he called me at dinner time. You know, what did I do today? And, hey, I was out sitting by the fire in the woods and 
okay, what did you burn? You know, I burned some uh, ash wood. Well, where'd you get the ash wood? And I'd tell him, what tree was it? You know, which way were you facing when you picked it? And, you know, these kinds of questions. And every day he did this until seven years later. Um, I knew every plant, bird, tree, <laughs> animal track. You know, I was I was able to survive off the land and, and live by my skills. I could trap, I could hunt, I could you know, fish, gather herbs, roots, you know, use them for medicine, use them for food. Um by the time I was 18, and he had done all that without me realizing that he was leading me. And the entire time, I never perceived that he was leading me. I just always thought it was my own interest. But in looking back, I can see, you know, I guess when I got to college, I realized that I had I had been raised differently than everybody else because I knew certain things that nobody else seemed to know, one of them being bird language. There was not even the professors knew that it existed, and a lot of them even doubted that tracking was possible. So... I, I suddenly realized that something special had happened in those years, and um, that's when I became aware uh, that I had been, I won't call it tricked, because it isn't really tricked. its I, I feel it's more like facilitated into a larger version of myself mm. than I would have chosen for myself, and that's the, the beauty of that cultural mentoring model. Um, mm-hmm. So I went on to university to study cultural mentoring models to figure out how Tom did it, <laughs> number one. Number two, to find out if any anthropologists had researched and discovered the same pattern, and I found very little about it. Uh, it didn't seem like it was on anyone's radar at that time. So I vowed to myself in 1979 that um, when I graduated, I would open a school based on the model. And uh, in 1994, uh, I opened Wilderness Awareness School in 83, and in 94 I was working with Tom Brown when he introduced me to a group of people, uh, and he said, which really raised my awareness uh, of something, he said, this is the only person I ever had the luxury to mentor the way that grandfather mentored me. And after mm-hmm. that, he encouraged me to teach that model to people. And so since 95, as you know, because that's when you joined me at, in Washington, uh, mm-hmm. that's what I became focused on, you know, how to get this model of mentoring out, not just the skills of tracking nature awareness, but also what you were calling earlier that foundation, you know, building that strong relationship foundation. And And you have in your, I mean, you know, in the workshops, The Art of Mannering the Mind and Mannering in the book that's coming out of Entum, you know, this year, in the Kamana program, things that you teach now, your programs, which we'll talk about how people can find out about your programs and your websites and all later, um, that, you know, you've really fine-tuned the way that people can go about um, how to replicate this model of, mentoring and connecting youth and and adults even with the natural world to be really effective about it is really perfected that and there's all i mean we could we could we could be here for a week on the phone and 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 john could go on and on and on about you know how piecing it all together and how to make that work um and in fact i mean in the wilderness awareness school there's a very holistic curriculum that that john developed different shields we call them and each of these shields like different seasons holds different qualities, and um, and those of you in the Kamana program or have done some of our things, you know what we're talking about. But one specifically is uh, what we call the Southwest Shield um, or the Imsafiri Shield, um, and it represents the earth, the plants, health, our bodies, and and so John, I was wondering about that, and also um, how how it's important to have that. Um, like a foundation in nature, um, and you know, a foundation in nature uh, when coming about it. Because because so many people get very 
tunnel visioned in like, oh, I want to learn herbalism and, and, and I want to know how to cure cold or I want to be able to take care of this flu or, or, or I want to be able to live better with this disease or something and, or I want to learn about herbs and they get, you know, dried herbs and they, or they look in the book and they, you know, and they never really get around to the fact that this is all connected and all coming from the earth. Um, and that's something I really try to get across in the programs and products that we come out with. But anyway, I want to hear your rap on all that. Well, the, um, one of the things that that crosses my mind when you when you bring that up is um, the you know the elder Gilbert Walking Bull who is one of the I think the few people left in this country who had a what I would consider a, a re- reasonably similar lifestyle to Grandfather Stocking Wolf because um, he escaped the whole reservation uh, situation and uh, lived with his grandparents who were medicine people. Um, if you you know listen to what Gilbert says, and then I I was also cross-referencing that with the anthropologist William Powers um, in his work with Lakotas too, that the the concept of a, a medicine person, um, what they might call a pajuta wachasha, which literally means medicine man, or a pajuta wiyam, that this is a a person who works with medicine. And when they say it that way, they really literally mean the plants, the medicines associated with the roots and with the herbs. Um, so this is the the concept of pajuta wichasha or uh, or wiyam, which means man or woman. Um, and that that he was saying that most families, when he listens to the elderly speak to him when he was growing up as a kid, most of the elderly in, in his family. Um, remembered that every family, you know, every household had what you would consider a medicine man or a medicine woman, and often both. And it was considered more or less a household skill. You know, like you you learn to make a home, to heat your home, to gather food, you know, gather roots, get water. You know, there's basic household things that everyone needs to know how to do. And one of those things that every household needed to know was medicine. And, And when I say it that way, I mean it literally in the sense of the way Learning Herbs is teaching it, that um, I feel like the gift of, um, you know, the Learning Herbs concept is that you're empowering people to recover those household skills, you know, that every person, you know, has that ability, that need, that that gift to be able to work with the plants as both food and medicine. And, um, you know, this was definitely something that caught my ear, because then as I, I got to know Gilbert a little bit more, he said, well, yeah, the, the more advanced skills of healing, the, the more, the, what you would consider uh, the more, the powerful versions of the healers, you know, like in, in some sense, I, I would liken this to a Qigong healer, that would be the best way to explain it to our listeners now, that, you know, learning to work with basic Chinese herbs in the household would be one level of it, but to be a, a Qigong healer or, a, you know, like a five elements practitioner would be yet a higher level of the same uh, pathway. and mm-hmm. But that the foundation is that, that everybody has a deeply connected relationship with all of the plants of their area in season, you know, and that that was household back in the day. Um, when I'm over in Germany and communicating over there with people, I've had the opportunity to, to talk to a lot of different kinds of folks, and, and I've heard a lot of stories about that, that, you know, that uh, the country people have that relationship with the plants and that you know most households in the country were are self-sufficient with respect to understanding plants through different seasons um 
and that they have a basic understanding of herbal medicine, if you will, and definitely herbal nutrition, you know, which herbs are used at what time of year for what ailment. And um, I've always considered that uh, a foundational goal, but I, I, I feel that the herbs themselves, um, you know, would never be looked at as something that you would pull off a shelf as an isolated item, but that if you looked at it as a more organic and holistic approach, an integrated approach into your family life, you already have relationships with these plants. You know them, you understand them. Your grandmother used them, your grandfather used them, you grew up with them. Um, and I, I hope that, you know, through work like you're doing, that we could inspire people to reclaim that independence again around the basics of herbal medicine, um, you know, without people having to, to feel like, well, if I just get the basics of herbal medicine as part of my everyday household experience, uh, the things that grow around me, the things that I live with, um, you know, I don't have to necessarily, you know, think of myself as someone who's aspiring to be a powerful healer within the herbal tradition. The things that I grew up with Tom, you know, the first thing that, that he did with me when I was a young man was, first of all, to make sure that I had a basic understanding relationship-wise with the things that grew around me, not just the the plants and trees, but also the birds and um, the animals and things. But he wasn't really specifically after one thing or another. So everything led to everything else. So if, for instance, I got interested in a particular bird, eventually that bird would lead to its food source because I'd have to figure out, you know, what is this bird eating and, you know, what is that seed and where is it coming from and, you know, what plant is in bloom right now or what plant is in, in fruit. Um and so through my, you know, my interest in, one, keeping a fire burning through all seasons, you know, so I had to go out and gather a lot of things, uh, move a lot of branches and sticks, and, you know, inadvertently, uh, you know, because if you keep a fire going year-round, you know, a couple times a week in, in the forest, and, you, you know, you just have your little campsite and your little campfire going, you're always walking to new places because, you know, you're always hoping that the firewood would... Uh, always be there when you walk to the same place, but it always is gone after you harvest a few dead branches. You go back to that spot and there's nothing left, and now you got to walk further. And I think that was part of Tom's way of mentoring me was, you know, in, encouraging me to manage my fire at my camp. Um, you know, I, I had to go and see new and different places all the time. And I also noticed in the places where I went to, uh, you know, urinate or whatever and or gather sticks and break them out, that I was actually changing the way that the land grew. And I was noticing that certain plants were growing around my campsite and weren't growing anywhere else. And certain herbs, for instance, were growing up around the rocks, around my fire pit and around the edge of uh, the place where I sat. And because I was always moving the brush and branches around, I created space for other plants to grow that didn't grow there before. And he would ask me subtle questions about that. And I, I began to learn about wildcrafting not from an intention to go out and replant native species or anything like that. It wasn't from that place. It was more from the place of, hey, when you disturb things in this manner, this is what grows. And when you move this stuff like that and you wear the ground out at this level, then this is the plant that grows back there. And I began, and he began to mentor me and get me to understand that certain plants loved disturbance. Other plants loved to have, you know, no disturbance. And, you know, little by little, encouraged my interest in the plants and 
I became totally fascinated with them, and more in their beauty and their and their intricacy in the beginning, um, their edibility, or the fact that they could cause me to itch and stay up all night, like in the case of poison ivy. So I had to get to know certain plants because I had to. <laughs> and then other plants I became interested in because I just loved them. Um, I would be encouraged to watch plants through different times of year. So, for instance, in the winter, he would ask me, hey, what's this here? And he'd be pointing at a basil rosette of something. And, uh, you know, I'd look at it and be like, I, I don't know. He says, well, look, it's everywhere. And suddenly I'd look around and there'd be 20, 30 basil rosettes in this one area that I walked through all summer, you know, and I'd be like, mm. he said, well, gee, what do you think this is? And I'd say, I, I'm not sure. Um, he says, well, I think it, it must be here in the summertime. Have you ever been here in the summer? Yeah, lots of times. What grows here in the summer, you know? And he would do that kind of stuff to me, so... It got to the point where I'd have to notice what basil rosettes produced what herbs in the summertime. And I can't tell you how important that foundation was for me. I, I began to develop this intuitive link with the plants. I don't think I got my first field guide to plants until I was probably 14 or 15. And it was at that time where I got Peterson Field Guide to Wildflowers, and I began to just key out things that grew around me a lot. And I started to put names on a lot of things that I just had relationships with. Mm-hmm. Um but there was already plants that we were eating and using as, you know, things like plantain. We were using the leaves of that for things like bee stings, which, of course, I tried to avoid but occasionally needed it. The jewelweed, because uh, I couldn't stay out of the poison ivy, like it or not, because I was always right. going places. Uh, but the jewelweed was an amazing plant, and then the seeds of the jewelweed were so good to eat. And, um, you know, the shoots of... Uh, I loved eating the dandelion greens, and, and um, you know, there were things that we were interacting with regularly that we were eating, and, and we were harvesting roots, and we went for things like cattails from time to time for fun, and he taught me about some of the plants in the pine barrens, which were really, really uh, terrible to eat if you didn't prepare them right, and I learned a few things the hard way. But I developed this, this fundamental practical relationship with them. They became part of my everyday experience, you know, walking and picking chickweed and, and eating it, and you know, noticing things like uh, my energy level when I was eating wild edibles and, and what it did for me. And he brought that to my attention a few times, just like when we really needed energy, when we were on these uh, crazy adventures in the Pine Barrens, you know, how certain plants would give us that little boost. Um, we roasted pine cones around the fire and popped them open and got the seeds out of them a lot and gathered acorns. And, I mean, we were working a lot with plants and uh, using the, the byproducts of the plants for more than just food, a little bit of medicine. And he began to teach me when I was about, just before he opened the tracker school, uh, he began to teach me some of the more, what I guess you might call esoteric teachings around the plants, but I, I wouldn't call it that because it just seemed like the next natural step for me. It was an intuitive communication process with plants, and mm-hmm. it had to do with working with a particular kind of a sweat lodge ceremony and working with the plants and uh, you know, seeing which the, the plants were that were beginning to grow around that lodge that were basically healing herbs that were really good for all kinds of uh, ailments and and internal conditions. And he began to teach me about um, how the plants essentially talked to different parts of your body. And and we had already learned about, for instance, um, how tracking a raccoon, if you looked at the tracks and and if if you tracked and imitated a raccoon long enough, your body would naturally dance the raccoon. When, When you looked at the... And, you know, this is interesting because I I can point to science now and talk about this really directly. Um, Every one of you out there, when I say the word screwdriver, referring to the the tool, 
and the action of, of turning a screw with a screwdriver, all of your bodies, if you had microelectric sensors, would register a slight twitch in the muscles, which basically would imitate the turning of a screwdriver. Mm -hmm. um, this has been proven by science. So now I can speak to this directly. When you look at raccoon tracks and you have enough experience with raccoon tracks, it's just like the screwdriver phenomenon. The, the, your body will subtly imitate the trail that you're looking at, and your brain will interpret that information. So your, your body becomes a, a, a portal for communication with nature in, in more ways than just information. Like there's a, a form of data that is very dynamic that has to do with body messages. And the whole learning herbs journey, the whole Southwest Shield, as we call it, at Wilderness Awareness School, is really about that understanding, a body-based relationship, a body-based form of communication with the plants, with the animals, with the trees. But with the plants, your body, you know, and I don't know that this would happen the first time out, like if you went outside for the first time and, like, picked up a piece of dandelion and, and tried to figure out what part of your body it's talking to, Without much experience, I'm not sure that you'd get the kind of response that I'm talking about. But because I had so much body-based training, um, I was able to start to accurately guess what plant was good for what medicine, what part of the body it would serve. And mm -hmm. you know, this is this was you know that that next level of communication. And at that point, um, his school opened. He got really busy. I got really busy at university, and I, I just played with it a little bit on the side, and I didn't follow up with it much more. But it came in handy a lot of times in my life uh, later on. And when I met Ingwe in 1984, and I brought him to the Pine Barrens for the first time, he, he'd never been to the Pine Barrens before. He was from Kenya, East Africa, and South Africa, so he'd never even been to the Pine Barrens. And he said, show Ingwe, he always talked about himself in the third person, show Ingwe a plant that, uh, that you know the, the medicinal use of, and Ingwe will tell you what it's good for. And he was doing exactly that. The Akamba had taught him the very same skills. Wow. Um, and he was able to identify very accurately which plants were edible, which ones were poisonous, which ones were medicines. He was able to tell me, you know, what area of the, of the body the, the plant could be used for and that kind of thing. And I know now that uh, Tom Brown has healing classes where around herbal medicine where he actually teaches that skill. But I've also heard him complain that if people don't have some grounding in basic nature awareness and relationship with nature, um, that it's difficult for them in the beginning, but that everyone can develop that skill. You know, it's not it's not esoteric, really. It's just it's only lost on the modern life. You know. No, and that's exactly why you we uh, well, you know, we got Come On Naturalist training program going because a lot of people wanted you to teach them how to be expert trackers, right. and you found out that hey, they didn't even know what Robin sounded like. So yeah. we needed to go back a little bit, and we needed to come up with a program that that taught people, you know, the basics of all that was either growing or living around them. Exactly. And 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 uh, there's someone, uh, well, a uh, seasoned Kamana student, Nick, uh, emailed here and just wanted to wanted to know, like, some ideas on moving beyond just looking at and identifying plants and uh, uh, how to know them on a deeper level. And I think that you just hit it right there. It's a, it's if you're going to track, go. If you want to be a tracker, you go out tracking. <laughs> if you want to learn about plants, you have experiences with plants. Right. And there's endless information out there. I mean, that's what we've focus on learning herbs once a month we send a newsletter out um and gives you an experience and you go and do it and you'll you'll get deeper with the plants that's the way to do it that's definitely the way to do it i just call i just i simply i now call it just building relationship you know and i think everybody understands the concept of making relationships with people you know and um with our pets and so 
if you just think about the same kind of qualities that emerge from any really solid relationship, you know, if you had that same relationship with a, a handful of common plants, I think a lot of this would come home to you very quickly. Exactly, and um, that's pretty much what it is with with our family, you know. When I started out, I was exploring a lot of different plants and what was growing on me, but there's always, and it's different for everybody, you come back to a handful that, that are becoming your friends that you use again and again and again. And, uh, for, you know, for for my family, uh, we probably use nettle or dandelion or burdock or plants like that every day in some form or another. Well, that's the know. way to do it. Yep. That's exactly. the way to do it. So, um, John, uh, some people were also wondering how this all fits in with, you know, because we're talking about a holistic view of, of it all, you know, keeping it simple and also having a re- it's about relationships with the plants, relationships with your, the environment around you, relationships with each, with each other. If you're going to talk about natural health, that's really what it's about, having these healthy relationships in a lot of different areas in your life. And um, I know you've been doing a bit and studying a bit about permaculture. And how does that fit in with that? Well, the permaculture, um, really when we when we talked a lot about in the early days of, you know, basically kind of re- reinventing people's, Relationships with nature again. Uh, you know, our our Western experience, um, you know, accomplished a lot. I guess you could say, you know, through technology and and whatever, we we gained a lot of, of benefits in our lives today. And we also, during that history, um, lost a lot of things that were treasures, really, to humanity. Um, and I think when the the first people came to America from Europe and and perceived what the native people were doing here, um, they, I don't think they really understood that what they were looking at was a giant eco-forestry project. I mean, it was a giant permaculture project. Uh, the, the eastern forest bioregion especially, um, you know, as an example, that that particular bioregion was so, so productive. It was supporting so many people and, and was so regenerative. It just, it really, it just... They, like when scientists began to study the way forests were regenerating on their own, they realized that the beech trees came in at a much lower percentage. And, uh, of course, the chestnut trees were killed off by a disease, but the um, the oaks didn't come in in the same percentage that that uh, they were when the early settlers first perceived and the first naturalists headed into those forests. Um, and same thing in California, the, the coast live oak, for instance, um, when it just grows on its own, it just grows straight and tall, whereas the trees that are older than a certain period of time um, grow like spiders. Their branches spread out like uh, octopuses on the landscape. And it became evident to some forest ecologists that there must have been human intervention maintaining the forest in the conditions and the compositions that, that were seen both on the east and the west. And mm-hmm. um, now there's a lot of books out on this whole study, but... Uh, it's clear that if if we were going to go back to the roots of indigenous wisdom, living close to the land, you know, which learning herbs comes from, tracking comes from there, um, a lot of even pharmaceuticals, of course, come from there. A lot of the, the formulas that are used today and taken for granted as healing drugs were 
you know, uh, first learned from native people in various parts of the planet, especially in the jungles. So I was, uh, I was just then explaining that, um, you know, with, with the eco-forestry skills of the native people of this land, um, all the skills that we talk about, the tracking, the mentoring, the herbal medicine, even the, the land care skills are all basically what, what I'm now calling indigenous technologies, and they belong to all of our ancestors. They're programmed into our our DNA, if you will. In other words, our instincts as human beings uh, cause us to make choices around this uh, that we are naturally drawn to want to understand these things. And so the permaculture m movement represents the work of Bill Mollison and a lot of other really brilliant people who have gone out into the world and researched a lot of these indigenous technologies and put them into action um, in, in, a, in, a, in a, a systematic way, basically, essentially taking native tools for caring for the land and regenerating the plants and the animals and the food systems um, <clears throat> and other systems for living. Uh, and they basically, you know, created a whole, what amounts to a science and art out of that. And, the, you know, the permaculture movement is representing that. And you know, Bill Mollison got his start around the same time, you know, Tom Brown got his start. And I think it's interesting that they were both drawing from indigenous technologies. And then I went and did a lot of research on the mentoring and village technologies, how to weave the human part together, um, how to get people's relationships strong with one another, with nature, with themselves. And I saw that as I got to understand the permaculture movement, um, Wilderness Awareness School was born out of an organic farm. I'm not sure how many people are aware of that, but I, I was aware of permaculture way back when and, and said, gosh, this is something I really want to get back to someday because it's highly related to what we're doing. I just don't know how yet. Um, and then years later, I began to uh, work with Penny Livingston and uh, James Stark of the Permaculture Institute in Northern California, and I began to realize that we were working on the exact same vision from two different points of view, mm -hmm. and that we had very uh, similar goals, very similar aspirations, but we were covering an entirely different set of skill sets. And it seems like our skill sets were very much needed one by the other. So like the tracking movement, for instance, really had an understanding of the, the cultural mentoring elements and how to work with the animals and, and the bird language and things. John. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Sorry about that, everybody. Let's just pick that up again. Wilderness Learning School is started on the organic farm and whatnot. Yeah, so basically when I saw that the permaculture movement had a lot of skills that the tracking movement didn't have and vice versa, I realized that what was happening was that these two uh, indigenous-rooted pathways were coming together where they actually have belonged with our ancestors since the beginning. I mean, it was, a, it was kind of a homecoming. Um, and it was also interesting that the permaculture movement was populated with something around 70% women and 30% men, and the tracking and awareness movement was populated 70% men and 30% women. <laughs> mm. So we saw this immediate gender balance thing happen, too, when the two uh, programs merged. Um, which I, you know, highly, just greatly appreciated, and I think everyone else did too. Um, so it, it was a, you know, in, in some sense, uh, a, a marriage destined to happen. You know, no pun intended. But, um, you know, the the permaculture community is highly rooted in indigenous arts and skills, as is the awareness, uh, you know, and and tracking and bird language movement. Um, and the herbs movement is much more on the, on the side of what you would consider the permaculture skills. But when you look at it, when you step back and look at all of it, you see that it makes one complete picture 
of what we would just call village life, you know, and remembering that humans um, emerged out of the natural world, um, you know, millions of years ago as a village species, you know, like the, the human pattern has been the village since, you know, since the beginning of our existence, and um, for as far back as anyone can remember, we had very key relationships that we tended. You know, we, we as human beings were in relationship with our families. We were in relationship with our friends and village members. We were in relationship with the natural world. We were in relationship with ourselves and with our ancestors. Um, that these were the, the key relationships that were tended. And when you look at that, you know, that what we're about really, whether you're talking about learning herbs or learning tracks, um, it's a, really about tending relationship and understanding how we relate to everything around us. You know, so um, I just see it as a natural, you know, a natural convergence of, of skill sets, wisdom, you know, uh, lineages and that sort of thing. And it's, uh, it's just been a phenomenally interesting thing that since um, I got involved with permaculture, I've been all around the world and noticed that all the other uh, uh, nature schools are linking up with their local permaculture people. We've all sort of had the idea at the same time. I'm not saying people were following my my steps, but I was finding spontaneously that it was happening in Germany and Vermont at the same time it was happening in California and, and Washington. So it just seems like a, a moment in time, you know, when these two movements are, are finding each other and nurturing each other. It's uh, It's a really good sign. Mm. Very exciting too. I mean, just the resources that are being shared right now are just phenomenal. You know, in order. Yeah, to... we we saw a lot of permaculture um, places when we were uh, in New Zealand hiking around. It was amazing. Yeah, it's 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 much bigger elsewhere on the planet than it is in the U.S. But I I think it's a very very important movement. Very important. So, so we uh, it, you know it keeps seems to keep coming down to you've talked in these different threads. We've talked about permaculture a bit. We talked about native wisdom, um, what you learn from Tom Brown, and it keeps coming back with relationships. And some the and, and, and I know what goes through some people's heads often is like, oh where 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 can I start and what's a simple exercise or something and and I was wondering if you could just talk about the sit spot for a minute and um and how that can relate to somebody who would you know would want to connect with nature and learn plants yeah you bet um the sit spot is is one of those little gems that once it takes root it, it i think it's probably one of the most effective learning tools that I know of and you know if you if you if anyone out there is really listening to what I just said. <laughs> I've been teaching mentoring and gathering mentoring uh, tools from around the world, and I've been mentoring mentors and coaches now for, gosh, now it's, it's 30 years. And if, if I'm saying to you that this may be one of the single most important tools for learning that there is, I, I would hope that you'd remember that I said that. Um, and I emphasize it that way because even though people hear me say this all the time, very few people actually have the motivation uh, for some reason, to actually go out and follow up on this one. And it's one of the easiest things to do. Um, but I think people just don't know what to do once they start doing it. So I guess we have to really, you know, Learning Herbs, you know, you have to provide support, and I do too, and, and through all the schools that are around the world now, this is what's happening. Um, support people locally to maintain this routine, because I think it's really vital. The sit spot is nothing more than 
something that you probably did as a kid if you had uh, any outdoor time, as I did as a kid, where I found an apple tree in my yard. And I, I just went out. No one told me this. There wasn't a book on it back then. I just went outside and climbed this one apple tree, and I found this one comfortable spot to sit. And I, I sat in that apple tree a lot by myself. I just just did it. And what did I do there? Well, maybe I watched ants walk on the bark for 45 minutes straight, just watching them go back and forth. And or maybe I just kind of daydreamed. Um, or maybe I watched the yellow jackets flying around the apples on the ground below or just uh, played with the apple blossoms on the branches. Um, it didn't seem to matter what I did. It was just about making time and space in my life. And 45 minutes, an hour, here and there, you know, ideally every day, but if you can't, that's, you know, once a week is better than none, where you just go and find a place and sit. And a lot of you probably have mortgage mortgages or you have rent payments, and, and you're probably already living, some of you, out on the edge of the country or in the country. Um, so you already are paying for your sit spot. So I always tell people, if that's your situation, then just go outside in the backyard. Um, mm-hmm. You chose that place for a reason, you know. And when I was a young guy, as I indicated earlier, when I was 10 and I met Tom Brown, my sit spot just moved up one one level of complexity in that it went from my backyard to a, a five-minute walk from my house. And then it went up a slightly more complexity when he taught me how to make fire and, and work with fire. So I had a little fire circle that I sat at, and I just tended fire for, you know, countless hours, thousands and thousands of hours. Um, and in that process of sitting and getting to know one place, like building a relationship with one place. I began to know the trees and the plants and the birds and the animals as as an extended part of my relationships. It felt like family to me. And I spent seven years in that spot. Um, I'm not going to say I went 365 days a year. I didn't. But there was days when I went twice a day. There was times when I actually felt called to spend the night there by my fire um, there was times when I went in the night just to experience the night. There was times when I went, you know, before dawn and watched the darkness turn to day and times when I stayed at sunset and watched it turn to night and times in the heat of the day and all seasons in the rain and the snow. Um, I got to know that place through all of its ways, its times, its feelings, its weathers, its, you know, mm. its years, its successions and watched that patch of land give birth to thousands of birds and animals, you know, because every year they were giving birth to their babies or laying eggs and hatching. And, you know, I, I just watched the earth give off life year after year. And I began to understand things that I cannot put into words to this day. I mean, there is no way to describe what you get from that experience, but it comes down to that body-based relationship thing again, um, the form of communication that the human body is designed for that the sit spot can bring out like nothing else. I mean, you can't read about a sit spot and get something from it. You know, you you pretty much need to do it. So that's the one half of the story. The other half is that when you come back from your sit spot, it really helps to tell the stories of what you saw while you were at your sit spot. So if there's no people to tell your stories to, I mean, that's the one challenge. I guess people get bored, you know, if they come home and no one's there to catch their stories. Uh, it's important to be able to tell your stories about your sit spot. So... We teach people to journal, you know, to just keep a running journal. And then the question always comes up, well, you know, why am I journaling? No one's ever going to read this. No one really cares. It's just for me. I always say, well, wait a minute. What if your grandchildren were to find this journal 30 years from now, you know, and they gave it to their kids? And all of a sudden you could read great-grandma or great-grandpa's nature journal. How inspiring that would be for a kid. 
to feel connected to an elder in their community or their family and to feel that love for the land coming through the family three generations down and, and striking that child, it would be just immeasurably valuable. And it would have such mentoring power for that kid. So if you think you're not writing it for anyone, write it to the unborn children you'll never meet. Sincerely write it that way. And all of a sudden it takes on a whole other dimension, and you begin to understand this at a whole other level. And, and the stories that you... Uh... That, they, that you come up with as you're working with the herbs. Exactly. And, uh, and your experiences, journaling those experiences, or if you learn a plant a week or a plant a month, that uh, there's a lot of ways you can go about it, but just that um, simple, deep connection as you're going on. Exactly right. And uh, that is um, the very first exercise in the Kamana Naturalist training program. Um, we do have a home study program at Wilderness Awareness School. Um, it's the foundation of uh, all that we do at, uh, at Wilderness Awareness and all that John does, his programs. Um, and uh, in a way, it's uh, if I ever get around to doing an advanced program or an ongoing program, which we may in a year or two, uh, we'll definitely be the foundation of that program, too. So we went. I know we went a little over there. Uh, that's because I wanted to make up for the five or ten minutes we lost. Uh, <laughs> we had technical problems. <laughs> Apologize for that. And um, so I, I uh, wanted you all to see the uh, foundation and the philosophy that was at the core of our website. And that's why I was so happy to have John tonight to help. He just so eloquently uh, relates that and, and, and speaks to that. And um, as you know, it's, and that's where herbal medicine making kid and wildcraft came from. And you saw wildcraft, John. What did you think of it? I love that. I, I'm excited. I keep asking you when it's coming out, and I heard about your Thursday release. We're we're, we're waiting. It's uh, getting that that boat is getting getting ever closer to the Seattle port. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's an exciting idea. And uh, I hope that we don't have any like violence like we did when the new Nintendo came out or whatever that yeah. was. When your new herb game comes out, <laughs> try to be calm, people. <laughs> but seriously, I'm I'm really excited to get my hands on that and to play it. I'm I'm going to sit around and play it as soon as I get it. And John, yeah. you have child number five coming any day now. I so. do. A little young for the game, but that's okay. I'll, yeah, I'll raise yeah but you know, a few years will go by. Your your uh, your eight year old is right up his alley. Yep, nine year old. He's getting. I know. Nine. <laughs> nine already. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um. Yeah, you know, I bet you, uh, you know, I never thought that, uh, you know, we could get this many people to eavesdrop on one of our conversations. Uh, <laughs> we we used to do our best work in cars back in the old days. We created all our masterpieces and did our best creative thinking while driving. It's true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so I, uh, I want to thank you uh, so much for joining us tonight. And if you want to hang on a minute, i got a few announcements we got to make here. But first, John, I want to uh, ask you actually, uh, how can people find out about what you are up to? Because well, you are the founder of Wilderness Awareness School. You're doing your own thing down in California. You come up and work with us every once in a while, but you kind of you're the you're the creative guy that goes out and keeps starting more and more new interesting things. Well, I just want to say, you know, that um, well, first, thanks for for having me here and and give me an opportunity to talk about the stuff that I care about too, and um, you know, want to wish you luck and 
totally congratulations on your new game. That's going to be really fun. But also to say that, you know, there's now over 100 little schools that have started based on the model that Wilderness Awareness School pioneered um, with Ingwe and I's help, and, you know, it, and that they're all over the world. I, people should know that. And I, this is a growing movement that's pretty exciting. Um, I help to mentor school leaders around the country um, and help them, you know, work on their techniques and things. And I also uh, piloted a program last year working with wildlore.com uh, that actually is based on the way Tom Brown mentored me. You know, we're basically trying to use the telephone again as 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 a means to inspire people, have them tell stories, things like that. And uh, there's a whole bunch of services coming out through that. But johnyoung.org, J-O-N-Y-O-U-N-G dot O-R-G is where people can find out what I'm up to. That's the one. It's not very exciting. It's kind of a boring website, but we'll fix that up pretty soon. But it at least links you to all the things that I'm doing, and we'll give you an idea. So that's easier than carrying a business card. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and of course, you can find out about Wilderness Awareness School programs at wildernessawareness.org. And... Um, Check that site out uh, starting Friday, Friday, Saturday. It'll be launching a brand-new look, a whole new way of uh, going about it, and uh, lots of new stuff, and also our store with lots of cool holiday products at wildernessawareness.org that are related to wilderness awareness and whatnot. I know the Kamana program's on sale coming on starting Friday. Um, and Wildcraft goes on sale this week. You saw the email I sent out today, so I don't have to go too into it. And uh, we added some more bonus gifts, including the vitamin and mineral chart we saw for $10, as well as written transcripts to all these calls. Tonight, it will all depend on whether that, uh, whether the first two parts of this, actually the recordings came through or not. We'll find out. It's going to be a darn shame to lose those, but we get to do what we can. Um, so um, please uh, listen to the Susan Weed um, teleconference on Thursday. There's going to be some surprises on that, too. And um, tonight we are giving away a copy of the, the gifts. We, I keep upping, upping the uh, gifts here, John, every, every time. we had, First time we had a, po- a couple of herbal charts, and then we gave away a copy of Tom Alpel's children's book. And uh, now we have a copy of uh, From Crabgrass Muffins. Uh, um, to Pine Needle Tea, which is with Linda Runyon, an herbalist in New Jersey, where John and I were born and bred, uh, wrote that book, and uh, we sell it for over 30 bucks on the site. And it's, um, we'll be interviewing Linda on a private teleconference that people who get Wildcraft will, will be able to listen to. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game, Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio. Copyright LearningHerbs.com. All rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.